How are we doing? We're doing good. Anyone have a long week? Yeah, you can raise them. It's okay. You had a long week? I had a long week. Okay. Did it cost a lot in here? Did it feel that way? Okay. Well, Lord, we ask that you would redeem anything that's been taken from us that's good, that should not have been taken. We ask that you would, um, you would fill us up with joy. You connect us to your joy and hope and peace and rest. We thank you that in you there's rest for us who are weary. In Jesus' name, amen. And Lord, give us, give ourselves, help us give ourselves permission to receive that. In Jesus' name, amen. And that's it. <laughs> well, today we're going to continue in chapter, oh, it feels so good to say, doesn't it? It sounds good. Chapter two, and if those of you that are guests or visitors, we've been in chapter one since February of Romans, and we are now in chapter two, and we may be out of chapter two by the end of the month. Um, so be, uh, you know, we're not rushing, but, but um, it's kind of it's cool to see how God's moving. Um, that being said, we started the chapter two of uh, Paul addressing judgment, our favorite topic, right? Just when you hear about it, judgment, we're going to talk about judgment. How many get excited? There's going to be someone out there, I'm sure. But when you talk about, and I'm not saying because you're judgmental, I'm just, sometimes that's a, a good topic to talk about. But it's a hard one, is it not? How many judge on a daily basis outside of myself? Even though I'm, I'm, I'm up there, yeah? Mark's like, I'm not raising hands, I'm just shaking my head. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, Paul addresses this, and, and Tom Stewart, he let us out the gate a couple weeks ago, did a fantastic job. And then um, last week when we were at the uh, men's retreat, Sharon uh, Franta did a, a fantastic message on the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And so today we're going to hear some verses, we're going to cover a lot of ground this morning, and we're going to go through verses 5 through 11 in chapter 2, and what we're going to see is language that causes attention for us. Now, we try to base everything, and so does Jesus, off simplicity. Be where we want to engage him, because he's here. Correct? Without him, we can do nothing. With him, we will bear much fruit. Pretty simple. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Pretty simple. Really hard to live out. It's hard. It's very challenging. And we're going to hear from Mr. Grace, the Apostle Paul, some language that looks like we have to behave our way into something when it comes to God's judgment. We'll hear phrases that we will be judged according to what we've done and all of this. And I want to tell you up front, Paul's not addressing salvation. He's not addressing salvation. He's made it very clear that we are saved by grace. But our relationship with Jesus, if it's true and we are engaging him, should produce good fruit. It should produce decisions that reflect who he is. So that's what Paul is addressing. And when we become self-seeking, which is a phrase you will hear, it does not produce the kind of fruit that comes, well, it doesn't produce fruit at all, but it does not produce the fruit that comes from being with Jesus. Paul, that's what Paul's addressing. Do we hear that? Now, what can happen is we use our own definitions for some of this language, and that's what we want to kind of 
clear up today and kind of look at in a way that will help us uh, not put our focus on the wrong things. Because even when we have good intentions as Christians, we can take the bait or the fool's gold, if you will, of certain things that we read in Scripture. We can go, well, that means that, so I got to do that. And that's not what the writer's saying or hoping for. When Scripture says, be perfect, it's Jesus is perfect. When I hear that, at first glance, what do you think that means? Be flawless. Right? How many have lived with that definition? And then you find it actually means be mature as I am mature, meaning be connected to the vine. He says in John 15, abide in me and I will abide in you. And that connects to be perfect as I'm perfect. But you see how we can project ourselves under the scriptures based on our own understanding from our own experience and our own definitions of certain words. So we want to be careful with that, especially as we go through this passage. So without further ado, if you have your Bibles, please get them out. If they're on your phone, great. Um, Take those out too. (laughs) We want to look at chapter 2, and I'm going to start from uh, verse 4 just to recap a little bit. And then we'll move into uh, verses, uh, the following verses through 11. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself. For the, for the day of God's wrath, when His righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth, key word, truth, and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, and then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. For God does not show favoritism. So when you hear that language, does it not sound like a honey-do list? Does it not sound that I've got to behave right, because if I don't, I'll be judged according to that? But we cannot forget, one, who Paul is. We cannot forget what he's just written in chapter 1, that this comes from a posture and a heart place with Jesus. Now, we got to be careful we don't take the fool's gold. When I was was about 6 or 7, my grandfather, who knows all the little trails in California, the 49er trails and all that, he took us to go panning for gold. Has anyone ever done that? Okay. It can be really cool at first and then really frustrating. Because you are coming to the river with hope, anticipation, and excitement. And as a seven-year-old, I'm going, this is so cool. I'm panning for gold. you got to be kidding me. This is amazing. And I'm looking, and like in 10 minutes, in 10 minutes, I go, I see this shimmer and this shine and from the water. And I'm going, Eureka! And I run and I grab it and I'm like, look, Grandpa, I found gold. Guess what? It shined like gold. It was the color of gold. It was stuck to a rock. It looked good. I could see all the things I was going to buy with it. I mean, woo! it looked really good. 
And then he looks at it, tests it out, and he goes, sorry, buddy, but that's fool's gold. What are you talking about? It looks gold. It tastes like gold. It shimmers like gold. It's gold. It's not gold. Now, that's what happens when we live by our truths. And then we project them on to God's stuff. Because when I would look at these passages, I would go, I have to behave a certain way. If I don't, God is going to do a certain thing. In some ways, that might be true in some things, but I would have this unhealthy look. And then you hear in our culture, all around us, live your truth. Ugh. Every acceptance speech at every reward show is like that now. Live in some way, some kind of vernacular, live your truth. How many have tried living your truth? Oh, my gosh. It would be a really sad sitcom, would it not? Pathetic. And then I come up with my own dreams and my own aspirations and my own desires, and they're not big enough for what God really has for me, but it's my truth based off how I see the world. My truth would look at this passage and go, I've got to say the right things and do the right things or all the bad things are going to happen to me. Because of God's wrath, but he's made it clear. You have choice. When you don't choose me, you're choosing something else. And you will feel the consequences of that. That's how it works. It's not like God's sitting there going, oh, waiting for, oh, 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 don't smack. It's not like the little golfers that come up out of the hole of that game, you know, and you smash them on that. Oh, man, if Mark peeks up right now, boom! But... If I tell my kids, the stove is on, it's really hot, don't touch it, and they touch it, they're going to get hurt. And if they blame me and get mad at me for that, well, you know, they might, but is that the reality? It's, I didn't do that to them. I showed them, here's the consequences. When we don't choose to be with Jesus and respond to his leading in our life, in a way that is life-giving to the people around us, we're touching the hot stove, and we can't get mad just because it hurts, and then blame it on God when we know. And we can't say he's just sitting there waiting to hit me. No, he's not. He wants us to be with him, and he wants us to be near him. And when we do that, we will do the right things. We will say the right things because it's according to his good purpose. But it's easy to pick up that fool's gold. It's easy to collapse with the, the culture around us. We see churches and Christians all over the place, maybe even ourselves at times, that are surrendering to the persuasiveness of unhealthy church culture. And that's what the tension we're in. How do I live Jesus in my life in a way that doesn't compromise him? We feel that all the time. We're afraid to talk about the hard things because they're hard things and what will happen. So we just say yes to things that are unhealthy. That happens. We just go, okay, I can maybe make that work scripturally. But we can't. We can't do that. We have to stand firm with Jesus. And that's what Paul's saying. We cannot be self-seeking because when we do that, when we succumb to the things of the culture, it's self-preservation which means it's self-seeking. Now, there's a difference between self-seeking 
unhealthy self-seeking and seeking God and what he gives us. Because it could seem there could be a tension of, well, I accept Jesus Christ because of what he gives me. Uh, I have a relationship with Jesus because of what he does for me. That would seem self-seeking, would it not? Here's the difference. One glorifies him, the other doesn't. One glorifies him, the other doesn't. Self-seekingness for our own sake. For our own sake is about us, not about him. But when we have a transformational encounter, as Brendan Manning said, he said, Jesus ambushed me. He ambushed Paul. And repentance is about turning towards, turning away from and turning towards him. How do patterns in your life change? You have to turn from one and turn towards another. And so repentance, God's kindness leads us. It leads us based off truth. We see in verse 4, based off his truth, which we often reject, his kindness leads us into a place where we turn towards him. He's good that way. It's not this smacking you around. It's, it's his kindness. So we have to take that in consideration when we look at this. For God will give each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing what is good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. Okay, let's stop there. When I think about glory, honor, and immortality, it carries my brand of that. There are a lot of things I've done in my life that I would say are the glory for Jesus and I find out are for mine and not his. Paul is not saying people that seek their own glory and their own honor and their own immortality will inherit eternal life because he's already set the precedent. All of this is based off truth, which is God. He's uncreated. He's uncreated truth. We are to be a slave to Christ, so we're to be his, and out of that we seek his glory. We seek his honor and his life everlasting. And as we do that, we gain eternal life. But I can think so easily of my own glory. And this is where the tension lies. This is where we can project ourselves. Okay, so if I seek glory in my dreams and my happiness and this and that in the name of Jesus, I'll inherit eternal life. No, that only happens through Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. That's how you inherit eternal life, through a love relationship with him, going after his glory and his honor, because that's what you're going to want when you encounter Jesus. Because he changes your definition of what you want because you begin to see what he wants for you. And sometimes we can fake it till we make it. Sometimes, I'm being honest with you, I, you know, I don't want to get up here and do a bad sermon. And I want to glorify God, too. But sometimes I want to do a good sermon so I don't look really bad. And I go after my own honor and my own glory. And I'll say I want Jesus more, but there are days where we just want to get through and we want what we want. And honoring God and glorifying Him can sometimes get put on the back burner, if we're being honest. And I'm not saying that in a condemning way. That happens. Does that happen to anyone other than me? But Paul is saying, we want to go out, when we go after his glory, his honor, and his life, we will engage someone that ambushes us, that completely turns our lives upside down. 
shakes us around. And then we begin to want what he wants. And sometimes it's a progression because I'll tell you what, being born again means you're learning things for the first time. That's why they use the phrase born again. And sometimes as a church, we want people to come out like Paul, ready to go. Whoa, you accepted Christ? How come you're not doing a million miracles? How come you're not leading all these people to Christ? Well, I just learned his name yesterday. What do you want me to do? There's a learning, and the grace of God gives us space to learn. Because we don't want to just say, Jesus loves me. We want to receive and know that he loves us. And we only do that walking with Jesus. And as we do that, we want his glory. We want him to be glorified. We want him to be honored. We want to live with him eternally, life everlasting. Because if we don't, then we're becoming self-seeking. And we want unhealthy things. Sometimes we think they're good, but they're fool's gold. I don't want to muddy this up. So I want to share a story. Where the Lord kind of slapped me around. You ever have those? And I don't mean like in the bad way. I mean, he just humbles you and you're just kind of like, oh gosh. (laughs) I wasn't ready for it. Well, mine often happened with my kids and today is no exception. (laughs) But this past week, well, this past month and a half, I've been walking into my daughter Gracie's room, five years old, and it, it, it looks like a war zone. Who has kids and you walked into their room and you just, okay? And you've had a long week. Say it's Friday, you come in and they, you know, they swindle you. They go, I'll have it done before you come home from work. You're like, I want to believe that. <laughs> but I don't. But I want to believe that. I want to have hope. And you walk in and you become, and you see the mess. How do you feel? Dis- yeah, discouraged, snippy. How many have said things they regret in those moments? You're reactive now. They've got, and they're brilliant. They're like lawyers. They have a million excuses. And they use their looks. They use their age, their pouty eyes to talk you out of reacting. They're magicians. And it wasn't working. Telling her, clean it up. You need to clean up. I'm going to take this. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take this. Man, does she call my bluff. And I take stuff, and somehow she gets it back. <laughs> Magicians, I tell you. But it wasn't working. Telling her to get it done, because if she doesn't, this is going to happen. You're going to face my wrath. Wasn't good enough. So this week, the Lord got a hold of my heart, and he said something to me, and I'm like, oh, Lord, you don't really know her then. <laughs> That ain't going to work. <laughs> Arrogance. <laughs> Walk with me and you, you'll see this. You'll see this unfold. So I tell Gracie, I said, Gracie, we're going we're gonna to clean your room this weekend. She goes, oh. I mean, she's five years old and she's already rolling her eyes. I mean, I, last, sermon I said, last service I said, at 16, I'm in trouble. And someone said, no, at 13, you're in trouble. <laughs> Great. I feel encouraged now. But here's the tactic. I said, Gracie, I'm going to do it with you. We're going to have a picnic. We're going to have, after we're done, 
We're going to listen to music while we do it. We'll have a little dance party. And she goes, really? I said, yeah. She's like, oh, my goodness. And then the next day or two, she was anticipating it. It was no longer rolling her eyes. She was excited because she was going to do something with me. And it wasn't about the task now. It was about the process of the task. And so when it came time, we were going to do it right after her nap time. She comes down. And I, I'm telling you, it's hard for me to get through it. She picks her most beautiful dress. She puts on her dress. Magicians, I tell you. She puts on her most beautiful dress, puts a flower in her hair, puts her little headband on, her little purse with her Winnie the Pooh. She goes, Daddy, I'm ready to have our daddy-daughter date of cleaning. And I had a blast with her. And she helped. She helped get it done. And it looked great. And she wasn't resentful. She wasn't mad. She wasn't pointing fingers. There's a difference. When we do things out of proximity with Jesus, doing it with Jesus, we don't become resentful and we don't have to fear falling into that place. Because sometimes when we go... I need to do this because I'm told to do this. We become resentful and it distances us from the Father, not brings us closer. And Jesus says, I want to be with you. I'm never going to leave you when I say go and make disciples for I am with you always. There's a posture change and we don't have to fear falling over here and self-seeking this. We fall into this place of whatever you want to do because it's about the process of doing it with you, not doing it for you so I can stay out of trouble, but experiencing who you are in the process. And I had to look at yesterday because it happened yesterday with Gracie and I have to cherish it. I have to absolutely love it and use that as a blueprint. There is something about the being with someone that changes everything. And Paul knows that. Because when he's saying, if we seek his glory, his honor, when we seek his immortality, we will have eternal life that comes from a place and an assumption of being with him because he set it up in verse 1 of chapter 1. And it changes the dynamic. Because sometimes we're so afraid to not do those things. To not be self-seeking that guess what? We become self-seeking. And guess what? We touch the stove. And it's all based, as we see in the first few verses, off his truth. We come in and we judge. Because we think we know. But only he can judge. Because he himself is truth and he, is, and he sees all things. And he's made it clear the Jews who have this really huge uh, to the world favoritism of God. God says, no, I want the people who are going to walk with me. I will judge fairly. Those who walk with me is what I want. He wants all of us to walk with him. But then we take his job from him and we start judging And we start saying, putting people in this bucket and that bucket because they haven't behaved right. We've got to stop it. We have to stop. That's not our job. That doesn't mean there aren't times for correction because there is. But judging someone is making a conclusive determination over their life. A conclusive determination over their life. 
Our lives are constantly changing with every decision. And leading us to Jesus through his kindness. And to judge someone and to put someone in a bucket. And this is why Paul says, don't do that. Let him do that. Because we don't see the whole picture. And when we do that, we negate the possibility in our own minds for that person to draw near to Jesus. If I say, well, Mark's done this, he's out, I've labeled him, and now my filter is on that label, and I cannot see him as someone that God wants to go after. I see that as someone that's been marked by my own judgment on based on how I see the world, of doing and not doing, instead of who you're doing it with. Because I guarantee you, if my life models Jesus in a way that he goes, I want Jesus, then his behavior will what? Change. But my judgment of him stops me being an instrument of God's love and grace. Which is why Paul says, stop it. Don't do it. It may seem right. And it may, you may think it enters you into rightness, but it doesn't. Believe it or not, it comes to a place of self-seeking again. I'm doing the right thing by telling them what they're not doing right. No, show them. Love them into the arms of Jesus. That does not mean, again, you let everything slide in this and that. But let the love of God lead you into those places. Don't do his job of judgment. Let him do it. Because now we have a Jesus filter. Now I can see Mark not as a loiterer. It was coming up at some point. But I see him as one God dearly loves And now I can be available. And, and I may go, man, that person's a project. I do not want to go in there. But guess what? You're doing that with Jesus. He's leading you into that place. And the process, it might, you might have to clean up a lot of stuff, but you're doing it together. And you're going to experience the love and the joy of just being with him, even in the hardest and most challenging of circumstances. Some of the most influential people in history, as far as Jesus goes, are people that stayed with him and experienced great joy in adversity. Because they knew who to cling to. They knew who to be with. And they knew there was a mess in front of them. But doing it with Jesus, that's a different story. Is it not? We have a long road ahead of us in Romans. (laughs) But it's good. And we have to keep it simple so we don't lose sight of the main thing. That's why we always have to go back. Jesus, 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 all day long, Jesus. Engaging Jesus, engaging Jesus, engaging Jesus. Do I need to say that more? (laughs) I will. (laughs) It was rhetorical, but thank you. Thank you for participating. But maybe the Lord might want to say, I'm going to change your tactics. And we're going to look at this messiness in front of us in a way in which you might love every moment because you're with me. Sometimes that's hard to imagine when you look at what's before us. But it doesn't make it not true. So what I want to do is we're going to have a time of tithes and offerings, and we want to continue to trust Jesus because he's everything. But we're also going to have a time of communion. And Jesus, in the upper room, with his boys, with them, mind you, tells them to remember. But remember what? To do this in remembrance of what? Him. His death, 
his resurrection, and is constantly being with us. Remember that I'm here. It wasn't just all the things he did before. Sometimes we can do that. Remember everything about me up to this point. I'm going to die and raise again. Once that happens, don't remember the fact that I commission you. Don't remember the fact that I said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. No, all things. Remember that. Remember that being with him is the most important thing. And what I mean by that, being with him, is that he is always here. We need to engage him. Constantly. And it's hard. Sometimes. Circumstances will tell you, no. And then you tell them, yeah. Or else you're just yelling at your kid to get something done, but no change ever happens. There's a difference when we engage him and we allow him to have lordship. Then we want his glory and we want to honor him and be with him. Amen? Well, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for who you are, for your goodness, for you and you alone are good. When Paul says, when you do what is good, it's not according to our definition of goodness, but the goodness that comes from being with you that pours out of us. Your character, when we enact your character from being with you, that's where the blessing is. Lord, we pray for our tithes and our offerings to you. It's your stuff. Sometimes we think, when we talk about money, well, now it's getting real. No. <laughs> all of it's real. And all of it's yours. You hold all things together. And our tithes and our offerings are more than our money. It's also our time. Our relationships. Stepping into hard relationships, even though we know it's going to cost a lot. But you're worth it. As it was said earlier, we can never outgive you. So we ask... You would have your way here at Bridgewood with all of its resources, time, relationships, and money. We pray your blessing over the remainder of our time in worship, through communion, through song, and fellowship. May it be pleasing to you because of who you are within us. We want to stay engaged with you and let you have your way. Let you be the judge. Let you be the transformer of hearts. But we thank you that you invite us into it to experience it with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Just invite you to come up to the front with your family or with friends, maybe somebody else, and just share that communion. And the rest of you, just invite you to stand with us and just to sing to our Jesus, to our Savior, the one that has given us eternal hope. Oh.